Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyat, your host. During this radiant week, that's right, it's another radiant week here on Light of the East because in the liturgical calendar of many Eastern churches, this is the week in which we're going to celebrate the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ on Mount Tabor. And this feast day, something like our celebration of Pascha, that one's really radiant, and the week after, we call Bright Week, in fact, this one also has a lot of imagery of light, of energy, of brilliance, illumination. Because, in fact, Jesus Christ, on top of Mount Tabor, in the midst of three disciples, Peter, James, and John, was gloriously transfigured, and there was this radiance that came from him that the three apostles could hardly stand. It was so brilliant. And what they saw was two things. And this is one of the reasons why this feast day is so significant for us today. They saw the glory of his humanity, which means they saw the glory of their own humanity, its origin, and in fact, its destiny. And they saw the glory of the divinity of Christ. In other words, his two natures shone brilliantly in that one moment. We have to remember that Jesus Christ is two natures, one person, but two natures. And they both shone in their own way brilliantly on Mount Tabor, to the point where the three apostles were literally knocked off their feet. In fact, the brilliant icon of the Transfiguration, and one of my favorites, shows them in a very dramatic pose, and they're literally falling on their faces, and they're holding their hands to their face. They're in utter dismay. They're just completely overwhelmed at this sight. And remember, the sight is twofold. It's the glory, the real meaning, the real image of humanity, their own humanity, yours and mine, the humanity that Adam and Eve had at the beginning and were supposed to have throughout their whole life, and the destiny that Adam and Eve were intended to have, the destiny that you and I will have, 
And all that was seen in the person of Jesus Christ. We have to remember that everything we see in Jesus Christ is telling us about ourselves, why we were made, how we were made, our origins, and our destiny. And those are the truths about the human person, how we were at the beginning before sin and how we will be in heaven with our bodies and souls reunited, gloriously transfigured. Notice that term, transfigured. In between, which is a period that St. John Paul II called in his Theology of the Body, historical man, in other words, history, lived history as we know it. We think it's reality. We would call that reality. In between, that is actually unreality. I mean, it's history, but it's unreality. What is most real is how we were before sin and how will we be now, thanks to the redemption of Jesus Christ, his redemptive work, how we will be in the next life, gloriously transfigured. In other words, our destiny. And this was revealed on Mount Tabor. Now, whenever there is a feast day in the church, and feast days in our culture, in practice, really get underplayed. I remember as a child, we grew up with many, what we we would call them holy days in the church. I remember going to church often after supper in the evening. We'd have to go to church. I had to get my homework done because we were going to church. We went on the holy days, and there were many holy days that were considered to be, well, they would say in the Western church, obligatory, holy days of obligation. In the East, we use that term, but not quite in the same way. We tend to use the term major feast day or a minor feast day or a feast day with a longer post-festive or a shorter post-festive. We have different terms, but it means basically the same thing. It's a feast day of greater importance maybe than other feast days, although in the Eastern thinking, all the feast days are important. In other words, we don't like to use a term, if we can avoid it, obligatory. There's nothing wrong with that. But the spirituality behind not using it is that we should want to come on these feast days, want to come to church, want to celebrate it according to the mind of the church and the customs of the church. So there should not have to be an obligatory compulsion or rule to bring us to church. But I guess we need that <laughs> because we are all sinners and not exactly where we ought to be all the time. But basically, the spirituality is, we just come to enter into this feast day. And using that word, enter, is very significant. Because, especially Eastern spirituality, the holy days, of which there were many more, especially so-called obligatory when I was a child, those feast days are ways of our immersion, or entering into the meaning, the salvific meaning of these feast days. In other words, these feast days are good for us. Yes, we come to pay honor to the feast days in terms of who they're about or the event that they're about. Yes, we do that. That's part of it. But the major part of it is that the feast days are good for us. That's true about most everything when it comes to church and liturgy. We avail ourselves of what the church offers, the church's life, not because God needs it, I mean, God wants us, he wants our heart, he wants our presence, but it's we who need the church, we who need its liturgical life and its customs and its sacraments. And so the feast days are ways in which we meet these needs. We enter into the event as though the event were happening in this very moment. Actually, I'm going to qualify that word, although. When I say although, I really mean 
it actually is happening, only in a mystical way. When Jesus Christ went onto Mount Tabor, atop Mount Tabor with his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he transfigured there, we can treat that in part, yes, as something that happened in history 2,000 years ago, but the way we really treat it, thanks to the liturgical life of the church, is we treat it as though this is happening now, because in fact it is happening now. If you want to understand that, think of the Eucharist. The Eucharist was something that began, yes, 2,000 years ago with Jesus Christ and the mystical or Last Supper, but the Eucharist spans all time. And we enter into the Eucharist, as we do, we enter into that very first mystical supper. In other words, we are there. We are there with Christ and the apostles in a mystical way, a mystical way. But mystical, as I'm never tired of saying, means what is most real. Mystical tends to throw us a lot in our culture, but mystical means what is most real. So we enter into what is real through the mystical life of the church. So we are, Peter, James, and John, on that mountain, and we are seeing our humanity before our very eyes, its origins and its destiny. And we are seeing the divinity of Christ in as much as we are able. And it's interesting because the liturgical texts for the Feast of the Transfiguration always make that qualification. They say that Jesus Christ revealed his glory to his disciples as much as they could behold. Because no one can behold the full divinity of God and survive. Not because God is mean or bad or awful, but the opposite, because God is so glorious. We cannot contain that in our mortal beings. So Jesus Christ reveals as much of his glory as he could, and as much of our human destiny, the glory of that, as he could to Peter, James, and John. And they were so impressed, not only were they knocked off their feet, but they wanted to build tents there and remain, because along with Christ, Moses and Elijah appeared. And they were actually conversing with each other. And the meaning of this is that Jesus Christ was being revealed as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That's why they had the two most symbolic persons of the law and the prophets. The law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah, whose feast we celebrated a few weeks ago. Elijah and Moses most symbolize the old covenant, the law and the prophets. But Jesus Christ came to perfect the law and what the prophets foretold, to fulfill and perfect it, to take it to its new height and its ultimate destiny. In other words, the why behind the prophecies, the why behind the law is what Jesus Christ now reveals. And it's no longer just about laws. It's no longer about prophecies, about things that are to come. All that is now fulfilled and taken to whole new levels. It now becomes a new covenant of relationship with God in an intimate way a new way, a mystical way, where we can have this real union with God through Jesus Christ and especially in the sacramental life of the church. So Peter, James, and John are on this mountain seeing something that really is about us. It's about them, it's about Christ, and it's about us. It is timeless, as are all feast days. And this is why we really, really need to come to church on these holy days whether they're so-called obligatory or lesser, because they are immersions in the mysteries, the mysteries that we need. And they're intervals, they're breaks in our usual schedule. 
There should be welcome breaks. In fact, many of the feast days, such as the Transfiguration, have wonderful customs, such as the blessing of fruit that we bring to church for the liturgy. When we return, we're going to talk more about the significance of Holy Days, and in particular, the Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. The tradition continues. I'm Father Thomas Loya inviting you to Prairie Fest. Friday through Sunday, August 7th through the 9th. Friday night at 7.30. Chicagoland's number one classic rock cover band, Aura. Then Saturday evening, August 8th at 7.30. Prairie Fest celebrates the British invasion with American English. It was 20 years ago today. Such a ripper took the band to play. Prairie Fest kicks off Family Day Saturday afternoon at 2 with animal shows for kids. The Innisfree Folk Ensemble, followed by Harvest Moon. Sunday is Polka Day, beginning with Polka Generations at 11 a.m. The Polish Highlanders Dance Troupe, Eddie Carosa Jr., and the Czechoslovak Moravian Society Dancers. Prairie Fest also has a beer garden, food, children's games, church and prairie tours, $5,000 raffle, and more. Complete details for Prairie Fest are at the events link at byzantinecatholic.com. byzantinecatholic.com. Prairie Fest, Friday through Sunday, August 7th through the 9th, at Annunciation Parish, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Just want to say hello to a listener who wrote a wonderful letter to me recently. Her name is Debbie Blakely out of Pomona, Kansas. And Debbie, I want to thank you for your very kind letter, your kind words. And above all, as I always say, whenever people write to us, I want to thank you for listening. And speaking of the transfiguration of our Lord on Mount Tabor, and also those of you who correspond with me, I'm combining both of those realities here for a moment. <laughs> Mount Tabor 
is where we get the name of an organization that I helped to form that I'm part of called the Tabor Life Institute. And that's the best way to communicate with me. The email there is taborlife at earthlink.net. That's taborlife at earthlink.net. And our website is taborlife.org, taborlife.org. The reason why we named this organization by that name is because of the nature of this feast day itself that we're talking about today. We're talking about how humanity transfigures, how we in our life on earth and in the next life continue to transfigure into that version of ourself, that perfected best self that God intended for each and every one of us. He has a destiny for us as a human race, but he also has a destiny for us individually, which is unique to all of us. And what we do at the Table Life Institute is we use the spirituality of the Eastern churches together with St. John Paul II's theology of the body. And we treat the most significant issues of our lives, marriage and family and sexuality. We do counseling. We do retreats, conferences. We handle all the hot-button issues. We try to articulate the church's teaching on those issues in a way that hopefully is compelling and convincing and transformative. So we're all about helping people to continue on their journey of transfiguration. In St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, he has a section in which he talks about, in fact, divinization. I'm going to read that section to you. It comes in the part of his teaching on the theology of the body called The Resurrection of the Body as a Reality. And also, Christ appeals to the resurrection. So he's talking about the significance of the resurrection of the body. And this is what he says in there, in that section. The words of the synoptics attest that man's state in the other world will not only be a state of perfect spiritualization, but also of the fundamental divinization of his humanity. The sons of the resurrection, as we read in Luke 20, 36, are not only equal to the angels, but also sons of God. One can draw the conclusion that the degree of spiritualization proper to eschatological man will have its source in the degree of his divinization, incomparably superior to what can be reached in earthly life. One should add that here we are not dealing only with a different degree, but in some way with another kind of divinization, participation in the divine nature, participation in the inner life of God himself, penetration and permeation of what is essentially human by what is essentially divine, will then reach its peak so that the life of the human spirit will reach a fullness that was absolutely inaccessible to it before. This new spiritualization will thus be a fruit of grace, that is, of God's self-communication in his very divinity, not only to the soul, but to the whole of man's psychosomatic subjectivity. Well, there are a few big words in there, but basically what St. John Paul II is saying with his characteristic depth and eloquence is this whole concept of divinization that we're talking about that is so central to Eastern spirituality, and this is one of the reasons why the Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ on Mount Tabor is such a significant one. Not only for the Eastern churches, but for us. In fact, in our liturgical calendar, this feast day has a post-festive that goes all the way to August 13th. You can usually tell the significance of a feast day by its post-festive. In other words, how long we observe that feast day. There's usually a pre-festive, and the, the highest feast days have a pre-festive that is long as well. And they also have then a post-festive, which is long too. So the Feast of the 
Transfiguration has a post festive that goes all the way. It starts on August 6th, goes all the way to August 13th. And then we begin to prepare for the Dormition of the Mother of God. So it's a very rich time of the year in the liturgical calendar. Very beautiful, meaningful feast days in which we bring things to church that we bless. It's another way of our immersion, a very tactile, kinesthetic kind of immersion into the mystery of these feasts. So we bring fruit because this was a time of year of the harvest traditionally, and so the harvest fruits were brought to church to be blessed. But also fruits symbolize. They have a characteristic similar to the transfiguration. Let's face it, a fruit starts out like what? A little seed. It doesn't look like much for a while, and as it grows, that seed transfigures into a beautiful succulent fruit or a vegetable, something that it's hard to imagine start out as a very innocuous little seed. So the fruit itself, again, gives us a tactile immersion into the reality of this feast, of something that changes and metamorphosizes. In fact, on the icon of the transfiguration, and icons are always labeled, that's one of their characteristics, the word in Greek on the icon is actually metamorphosis, the metamorphosis of Christ. In other words, the changing the metamorphosizing, the, the divinization of his nature, as St. John Paul II spoke of. And he quoted from the second epistle of St. Peter when he used the term partaking of a divine nature. Just imagine, and this is what the apostles saw on Mount Tabor. Imagine that as we grow in our holiness, in our true humanness, we actually partake of God's nature. We don't become God in his essence, but we in a sense, graft ourselves onto him. That's how close our destiny is, how close our destiny is to be with God, to actually be grafted onto his very nature. And this is a process, a process which begins with baptism and is amplified and ratified every time we choose good over evil, when we receive the sacraments or renew those graces of baptism, when we receive confession and the Eucharist and make those choices of good over evil, when we're anointed, when we pray. These things ratify those graces of baptism, and they set us on that road of continual divinization to the point where our ultimate destiny in heaven is to be grafted onto the very nature of Christ. And that means with our body and soul reunited. We sometimes forget that because we speak so much about saving souls. We sometimes don't have a real clear idea, although it still remains a mystery, we don't always have a clear idea that this body of ours, maybe because it dies and it rots in a grave, decays, so we don't think of it as, as living on, but it will be raised up again and reunited with our souls. We'll be whole again, a whole human being, but transfigured, gloriously transfigured. How do we know that? We know it the same way the apostles knew it. They witnessed it in Christ. What happens to Christ happens to us. Always remember that. Christ's life, Christ's story is ours. Well, it's the ultimate story, the human story. In the liturgical text for this feast day, this glorious feast day, and hopefully you can tell it's one of my favorite, here are some of the great passages that we sing and pray. This is from the Matin service for the Feast of the Transfiguration. It says this, showing the change that mortals will undergo. Did you catch that? Very direct. The change that mortals will undergo, O Lord, when they enter your glory at your second awesome coming, you were transfigured on Mount Tabor. Elijah and Moses converse with you, and seeing your glory, the three disciples whom you had chosen 
were struck with your splendor, O Lord, as you cover them with your brightness and also send your light upon our souls. Very poetic, very theological expressions there, but very, very relevant. And speaking of relevancy, why this feast day? Why do I think it is so relevant? Well, we look at our world today. We look at those things which press in on us. I liken it to a vice. You know, vice has two sides that come in together and something gets squished in the center. Sometimes you want it to be, you hold something there so you can work on it. I remember my dad in our basement had a vice. He used to do miracles on that vice. That vice was his tool. (laughs) We learned to use it too as we grew up. But there's also an, an image of a vice where something gets squeezed and gets harmed. Well, Christianity today is being squeezed between the two sides of the vice. The one being the incursion of Islam, especially extremist Islam on the one hand, and moral relativism on the other. And both of these have a common flaw. Both of these have a common error. They do not perceive the human person accurately, correctly, adequately. And from that misperception comes all manner of evil and pain. Yeah, it's true. There's only one accurate, adequate perception of the human person, and that is what Jesus Christ imaged on Mount Tabor. That's why the apostles were so impressed, so enlivened by that vision, and so ought we to be as well. The Feast of Transfiguration. Make sure you get to church and celebrate this glorious feast. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the radio button. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.